0: Hello, good people. This is George Mahali, host of The George Mahali Show. By day, I'm a commercial filmmaker, but here on the show, I share conversations with remarkable people about their areas of expertise. This includes, but is not limited to, experts in education, entrepreneurship, wellness, martial arts, technology, filmmaking, and in today's show, events. Today's show is with Chloe Mandel. Chloe is an event organizer and founder of Mandel Experiences. Chloe has some serious chops in the world of events, including working at the Olympics in 2016 in Rio de Janeiro. We talk all about that on the show, and the Winter and Summer X Games, and then dozens of other events that she's organized across North America. Our conversation today covers all things events and specifically experiences why experiences are a more accurate way to think about the things that chloe produces we talk about what makes a good event organizer what are the first things that chloe discusses with her clients when they're starting to plan an event really really valuable stuff there about setting expectations we talk about fear we talk about trust and another topic that i really enjoy mentorship if you enjoy the episode and you want to get down with all of the show notes, resources, and links that we discussed in today's show, head on over to georgemihaley.com, spelled G E O R G E M I H A L Y.com. Today's show is presented to you by Story Firm. Story Firm is a full service video production company specializing in commercial, documentary, education, and event video content. The work of StoryFirm has generated millions of views for some of the world's biggest brands, including Facebook, Google, Under Armour, T-Mobile, Microsoft, and TEDx, just to name a few. To see some of StoryFirm's work, or if you want to inquire about an upcoming project, check out storyfirm.com, S-T-O-R-Y-F-I-R-M.com. And without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with the incredible Chloe Mandel. Chloe Mandel is sitting right across from me and she is an amazing human being and I'm going to try to give like a brief bio about you and then I'll explain why we're here today. Uh, So Chloe Mandel is an event organizer, event director, event planner. She handles all things related to marketing, sponsorship, running the events, day of show, everything that happens before and after. So pretty much the wizard of everything events and Chloe has worked at the X Games, winter and summer X Games, the Olympics in Rio in 2016. She's organized the Portland Boulder rally, which was the largest uh, single day bouldering uh, competition and festival in the United States, uh, has handled all sorts of other sorts of projects and events related to fundraising, nonprofit events, for-profit events and you've worked with budgets upwards of a quarter million bucks. So you're a pretty amazing human being and also an incredibly talented event organizer. And uh, why I'm doing the show, why are you here, is because the idea that I have around the conversations that I'm sharing, such as the one that we are sharing today, is I am a student and whoever's sitting across from me is my teacher. And you are a teacher of many things. But today, I think we're going to be kind of focusing our conversation around everything and anything related to events and more specifically, experiences created by amazing events. Chloe. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me, George. This is awesome.
0: Awesome. I'm super stoked. Um, Chloe, I know I kind of gave a quick bio about you, but is there anything missing that you would like to share about who you are and what you do?
1: Um, I mean, thank you. I've, I feel super honored to be here and everything you said was so kind. Um, I think the, a big part of my life that I would add too, is just my travels and um, I it started quite young when I was five years old. I went to, um, my whole family moved to Kyoto, Japan and where I attended kindergarten with my sister and we spent the year as a five-year-old in this totally foreign country um, and that kind of really opened my eyes to the world and so I've definitely taken that into my adult life as well. Um, I had the chance to study abroad in high school in France. Um, as well as then go back to Japan in college and um, spend a year there studying abroad my junior year of college. And um, ever since, yeah, definitely I try and make it a point to um, do some sort of international trip at least once a year, if not more, as well as, you know, try and really expand my business to be more global and international. Um, So I was just in Europe, for example, uh, for the uh, World Climbing Championships in Innsbruck, Austria. That was amazing. And so, um, so yeah, things like that. I think the international, the global aspect of, of all our lives is really important to remember.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I really admire, uh, how you approach, uh, learning about different cultures, but really then immersing yourself in them. Um, communication and specifically language is kind of like a theme that I'm exploring more now and a theme that I'd like to explore, continuing to explore with, uh, people I'm having these conversations with. So thank you for bringing that up. And I love like what you kind of talked about already how um, from your youth or earlier youth because I think <laughs> we're still young people, uh, you've been exploring different parts of the world and really exploring ways that you can better communicate with people because you mentioned like you were living in Japan. You were very young at that time, but then you decided to travel abroad there when you were in uh, college, right? Mm-hmm. And um you continue to practice your language skills with Japanese and i know that's also on top of your language skills with French um what is it about those two languages in particular that are a little bit unique for an upcoming event in the rock climbing world which is where you focus a lot of uh, i think like your time and energy with event planning uh yeah could you care
1: yeah, no, um, you know, it's funny you should ask, George. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I think what George is getting at, which is really exciting, is that climbing has been introduced into the Olympics. It actually just debuted at the Youth Olympics um, down in Buenos Aires. This is rock climbing. Um, yeah, so rock climbing uh, just um, was inducted actually in... Um, when I was working in Rio, I heard the news that climbing was going to be in the Olympics. They they decide well in advance, you know, what new sports they're going to bring on, you know, along with skateboarding, um, surfing. I think they're
0: just break dancing is going to be an exhibition <laughs> yeah, as sure. well. I'm super stoked on. <laughs>
1: um, so I think the point is that the Olympics, the IOC in particular, the International Olympic Committee is really trying to reach a younger demographic. Um, and so as a result, you get maybe more of these kind of fringe um, kind of high energy sports coming in and so uh it it will then be debuted um for the uh first time at the Tokyo 2020 Olympics which is it's super exciting it's kind of for me personally it's been just a really awesome um kind of connection of all these random, um, interests and hobbies I had sort of lumped into one. Mm -hmm. Like I happened to start climbing when I was living in France and then I happened to, you know, to go back to Japan. Thank you family who got me there in the first place and built my kind of love for, for Asian culture, especially, you know, the Japanese, um, side of things. And so it's, it's a really neat crossover of, you know, just bringing together my event background. Um, I think the, that French still being a very common language spoken amongst Europeans, um, and especially in that international setting, it's a really good skill set. Mm-hmm. And then Japanese lending itself in particular um, to the host country and any, um, any communication you would need with any sort of uh, host federation, mm-hmm. especially. So the way that climbing will work is that, um, like the Olympics, they don't know how to run any one particular sport and by that i mean the international olympic committee works with these international mm-hmm. federations to um ensure fairness to figure out the format right and so they're working directly with the international federation of sport climbing which is the mm-hmm. international governing body kind of like the fifa of mm-hmm. of climbing of
0: rock climbing, of rock
1: climbing exactly where are
0: they based in france international um federation? no they're actually based sport in climbing.
1: torino italy uh-huh. um but they are you know um members from all over the world and they work, you know, also with national federations. So I know they're working very closely with the Japanese national federation to essentially, you know, really do climbing justice and um, create something that's historically significant and, um, and pretty unique. So yeah. So it's exciting for me, you know, I'm not quite in a position where I'm directly contributing, but, um, but I've had the chance to really meet a lot of influential people and I'm just excited for the sport in general.
0: Really cool. Uh, I definitely want to dig more into, into the 2020 event and more into rock climbing. But uh, before we get too ahead of ourselves, I really wanted to kind of talk about, uh, what it is that you do, but really like why you do it. Um, with event planning, with putting together, uh, whether it's a sport competition, whether it's a fundraiser, whether it's a a conference. Um, what drives you to to do that? Like, why is it that You've really like dedicated a lot of your life towards putting together events for people
1: Yeah, um, I think you know It's really important that we ask ourselves kind of why we do what we do. That's kind of at the core That's what gets you out of bed every day, especially when you're your own boss and, um, you know, you need kind of that driving force. So that is a really important question to me. And um, from the very get-go, that was always uh, something I wanted to get really clear. And so um, it's... Your why. My why, exactly. I mean, I, I you could look at um, one of the New York Times bestsellers, uh, bestseller books by Simon Sinek um, called Start With Why. Mm-hmm. And that's a kind of go-to for many small business owners as far as getting off the ground and really understanding... What's their driving force? So um, for me, it's it's pretty simple. I just believe in the power of experiences. I think that you know we often think of wealth or value in in the form of monetary wealth or maybe things and assets. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just kind of this common notion of wealth, and I'm trying to um, push that a little bit in that. There's just so much value in an experience, right? I bet everyone listening to this can relate to uh, going on a trip and having those memories that they hold with them, you know, going to a family reunion and, and, you know, being just with close, you know, people in a close environment or meeting brand new people at, say, a community event. Um, So it's that connection you build from experiences. It's those positive memories that really no one can take away from you. Like, sure, there can be like brain damage stuff, but that's much more rare than, say, losing your brand new iphone yeah there you go or like or having something stolen or Mm -hmm. having you know your shed burned down or whatnot i think that um you know it's it's really at the end of the day when you look back on your life i think it's those experiences that build the wealth that you carry with you
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i definitely agree with that and i've had uh many whether it's festivals or Uh, trips that I've taken with friends or seen trips to go see family that I think back on now as being uh, really impactful moments in my life you know things that I think back on that aren't actually things they're an experience that I had like I remember when I went to go see my grandparents in uh, Slovakia it's about five years ago now and I didn't know this at the time but it was the last time that I would see my grandfather alive.
1: Wow! It was really
0: crazy. Like I I spent a few days with them and we really just had a great time sharing meals and conversing in Slovak. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was just a spur of the moment trip. I was visiting my friend, Greg Bander, who was actually on the the previous episode in Greg,
1: not to interject, but Greg is the reason I'm wearing these fun socks. I saw him crossing his legs a bunch, so... Awesome. For anyone tuning in on the video,
0: <laughs> yeah, got some PDX that carpet, carpet. Um, socks. Anyway,
1: but yeah, I mean that's a really amazing ex- experience that you hold with you dearly, mm-hmm. and it. And what's interesting, they actually have done like psychological research, is that that actually that experience grows in value over time, mm-hmm. right? Kind of the if you were to put a monetary value to it, I mean you can't. It's priceless, no, yeah.
0: right? You can't. And even sharing the story now, it's like making me feel a lot of the emotions, right? That- it doesn't feel like it was so long ago, but it was many years ago now.
1: Um, Thank you for sharing. I mean, yeah. that's so special. Yeah. I think everyone really holds those with them.
0: And it's also, like I read this on your your blog, and it's something that I've thought about before and have heard uh, discussed before either it, it also, but um, it's not just the experience itself happening, whether it's that one day or two days that you have at a festival or seeing your parents. It's also the time before where you anticipate and you have positive uh feelings of anticipation Mm. excitement for that event and then after the fact like what we were just discussing like cherishing those those moments and then sharing the stories and again reliving some parts of of that experience hopefully it was a positive one right yeah
1: yeah Yeah, i think you put it best just that there's like there's so much more than just the event right Mm -hmm. so um so yeah before during after it it all has a lot um that can contribute towards just our overall happiness and that's You know, it's really nice to be able to put the skill sets that you've built or maybe just kind of tend toward and uh, then be able to use that for the good of humanity um, in the form of events, which are just fun in and of themselves.
0: I agree 100%. And uh, I wanted to kind of like, again, like take it back. Like you already started to talk about a little bit about your childhood um, and really how it related to you being exposed to different cultures around the world and um, traveling. But I also wanted to talk about when you were I know you you say that it wasn't like the events that you were planning, but you still did get a chance to interact with these people. Mikhail Gorbachev, Condoleezza Rice, when when were you hanging around those people? Like what was oh, what was going so on there?
1: Yeah, no, great question. So um in God, I think like middle school is when um my mom started taking me, my sister to um it was called i think the women's voices lecture series and it was just these really influential women um that would come and speak in portland um downtown and you know just kind of being amongst the great women of our time but then that you know expanded to joining um the world affairs council of oregon mm-hmm. which puts on the international speaker series um which is annual series that brings in pretty much you know kind of the top notable um in people from across the world of our time. And so, you know, you could add Bono to that list. Uh, it was pretty funny. He, I was holding the door open for him one day because I was like, so I guess I'm jumping around here real quick is that um, I was an intern uh, my junior year of high school, I believe, for the World Affairs Council. And in particular, I was the person with the clipboard In the back kind of green room area um, for the International Speaker Series, which is really exciting. I'm sure they're just like, oh, young girl, here, stand with clipboard. (laughs) And it was (laughs) the most
0: glamorous sounding job. No, I mean,
1: I think they just liked having someone that was friendly and, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, yeah. So in any case, it was really exciting because I held the door open for Bono um, before he went off to talk about amazing things he's doing, especially in regards to um, Project Red and, and AIDS in Africa um, and the, all the efforts he was really putting into mm-hmm. that Um and uh, he said in his like perfect accent, he said, "See you later, darling." And I, oh, I just like, I oh god, I just <laughs> blushed. And the other thing, if you befriend the photographers at these events, if you kind of just stand behind the person, <laughs> they, maybe they don't know you're right there. But the photographer like snapped a picture of me and me and Bono,
0: quote unquote, uh, like a little photo bomb. <laughs> yeah, total the photobomb really like the thing.
1: So in any case, but it was just it was so inspiring. Like I met Count- Condoleezza Rice, um, just an incredibly intelligent person. You know, no matter. Right left. It's just like it's really amazing mm-hmm. to just meet these people that are have accomplished so much and um, and we were the same height So it's like, you know, you kind of put these people on a pedestal and then and then you meet them and they're they're humans, too so people. yeah,
0: that's awesome. That's really cool that you at a You know, I, I think like at a time in your life, like we're, we're still developing like throughout our entire lives But maybe like in high school, we're more impressionable and you got some really interesting opportunities to be around like these super powerful or influential human beings and you understood that they're also just human beings still right
1: right I think I mean there's the diplomacy too around it and just if anything um the world of hospitality which is to make you know they're just about to give a really important lecture you Mm -hmm. want to make their lives easy and hospitable and um and so yeah that's always like just being very service oriented has always been something I've kind of just um veered towards and um you know and just being really good on the phones and a good communicator. I think those are skills that definitely apply to nowadays. Um, I remember, I think I was telling you this earlier, but um, I, I took a phone call from the White House, um, and this was in 2004, I okay. guess. So uh, let's we can 11, do the math. Yeah, yeah exactly. So years, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. And so... Um, <laughs> So I I swear I did the correct buttons you need to press to transfer the call. And then my supervisor is like, hey, no one's on the line. And so I had accidentally hung up on the White House. So I can say that, but I don't know if I'm very. That was that was one of those things that you get to, you know, accidentally do when you're interning for a (laughs) really awesome (laughs) organization. But I've learned since then. That's crazy. So
0: Um, Chloe, I know that like now you are in charge like one of the events that we actually collaborate on the portland boulder alley we've worked on it together for the past four years um, yeah how can you think back now uh like when you were planning the first one like where were you and how did it come about that you uh got put in charge of running a really large rock climbing competition
1: yeah, um, so the story behind the Portland Boulder Rally is really special because uh, you have Brian Newson of Next Adventure, um, co-owner of Next Adventure. It's
0: an outdoor retail store here in Portland, Oregon, but they also retail online.
1: Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and they, I think they've got five...
0: 25-year anniversary recently. 25... 26 20-year, tw- 20 yeah. but yeah. Oh, was it 20? 20-year, 20 20, yeah.
1: Oh, I thought it was 25. Okay. Um, but no, I mean they're amazing. They have multiple locations um, across the northwest, and and they have a, spa, a paddle sports center as well. So, so in any case, um, you know you have major business owner meet with other major friend business owner Andy Coleman of the Circuit Bouldering Gym,
0: which was the first. Only bouldering rock climbing gym in North I
1: don't, America. I don't know. I mean, they opened in 2005, so that was definitely well ahead of you know yeah. the explosion that is so climbing one of, now. Yeah,
0: one of the first bouldering gyms in north america for sure
1: it's crazy yeah, yeah to think about yeah. yeah and now what they're opening their fourth location soon mm-hmm. in bend so and so
0: the circuit rock climbing gym and next adventure are the co-hosts of the portland boulder alley
1: exactly yeah. and the, i mean and it's because you know they kind of came together and said hey we really want to celebrate the community and find a way to um, incorporate rock climbing and um and so this was 2011 and at the time (laughs) i was working front desk at the circuit voldering gym um just uh kind of had some various roles here and there but um, really
0: oriented around hospitality though because the front desk is the first uh interaction anybody that comes into the gym has
1: oh so much fun yeah i mean you're meeting such awesome people um and so at the time, so when it, it started, you know, I was part of that original meeting where, like, what do we call it? And we came up with, like, Stumptown This or, like, we came up with a bunch of names. I'm thank God Portland Boulder Rally worked out really well. But... Um we call it the, the rally sometimes. So in any case, so it wasn't until come um, 2013, when I actually uh, took it over as the event organizer. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a really exciting year, because we bumped the cash purse up from $5,000 to $10,000. Um, we incorporated a much higher um, value production live stream. And, um, and we just sent we went big, it was awesome. So uh, just super exciting to see kind of the response and that it was something everyone was really looking for. We got, you know, a lot of amazing pro athletes, uh, come out from across the country to compete, um, you know, as well as just, you know, the excitement within the community and, and the live stream viewership. So it was, it really showed us, we actually, that year we, um, it was so popular that we basically were at capacity with that, um, particular venue, so it used to be hosted at the northeast location of the circuit, and then we moved it to the Tigered location mm-hmm. uh, because that was a new gym that had opened that was about forty um, percent larger. So it's nine, it's now nineteen thousand square feet. Right? square feet. Yeah, exactly. And with an additional six thousand square foot covered parking area mm-hmm. that we convert into the festival, which is just you couldn't ask for a better venue. So then it was like game on, you know, like sky's the limit when it came to, um, you know, just what's possible with this event. And it's, it's so fun to see the, um, the growth of climbing as a sport, as well as just the interest from kind of anyone, you know, just from kids to adults. Uh, I think people are using as an alternative to a gym. So it's really fun when they have, when, you know, People and and members having a chance to really test their limits with a competition, mm-hmm. but then also see and climb next to their heroes. Um, so uh, I could rattle off names. I don't know if it'd mean much to our yeah. listeners. I mean, some but, of the
0: best yeah. bouldering and even rock climbers like in the world: Shimashirami,
1: uh, Sharishi, uh, but yeah,
0: Sharishi, yeah, uh, yeah, Sean Bailey, Alex Puccio, who everybody yeah. knows, Kai Jimmy. Leitner. Yeah. Right, like these are all. A lot of these people are going to be in the Olympics in 2020. And a lot of them have competed multiple years at the Portland Boulder Rally. Or like the Gateway like really Comp. Cool. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I think it's super cool. Um, and so I know, like, the Portland Boulder Rally, for anybody who doesn't know, it, it's a climbing event that brings maybe you can talk about it actually like how many competitors but then like the youth competition is also like this huge thing like yeah who who comes out to compete at the portland boulder rally and like why why does it really even happen too that's like the other thing
1: yeah i mean just like i was saying i think there definitely is kind of this excitement around like like okay let me actually train for something like yeah you could go climb every day but Mm -hmm. you know there's it's a little bit you know it's amazing the impact this has had there are people who've used the portland boulder rally as kind of this um you know, maybe like a milestone to, um, pull them out of say, um, health problems they've been having or, or get over maybe like a really, um, kind of we've had some really amazing stories that come out of this but you know maybe there was a death in the family and this was kind of just their thing that they put their energy towards and um it's just it's you'll never know the impact this has on each individual and sometimes it's fun to read through the captions say on instagram hashtag Mm -hmm. portland boulder rally but um but really it's it's become something that's bigger than ourselves Mm -hmm. so you're looking at 400 and 40 technically yeah 435 to 440 competitors um a third of which are youth so they compete in a usac sanction so that's usa climbing which is the national federation mm-hmm. of climbing uh sanctioned event that um that way this local event can count towards their um minimum kind of local competition requirements to then head on to the series with divisionals, regionals, et cetera. Um, So for
0: children who, I I guess like something that maybe people don't know is uh, rock climbing has a governing body within the United States where kids can compete uh, against kids from different areas in the same way that like a basketball team will compete with basketball teams from neighboring towns. Like this is happening now with rock climbing for both Uh, bouldering and for um is it called sport yeah sport climbing climbing. with with ropes exactly so youth is like a big component of of the competitors but then who are the other competitors yeah
1: so the other competitors are you or me or you know pretty much citizens citizen comp yes exactly um and so you're looking at you know again kids as as young as say five years old. And mm-hmm. then, um, we have a master's category in which, um, it's 35 years and older, which is funny because I can't, yeah, I'm looking forward to being in the, master's yeah, it's exactly, it's years. it's low, but you'd think like, you know, the sport, it actually mm-hmm. does make a difference. So, um,
0: Competition will be steep because the 35 plus years are really strong. Oh my God, it's
1: crazy. So yeah, I think we had, you know, people in their fifties, even Mm -hmm. sixties competing. And so it's, it's really fun no matter what your level, you know, a third of our competitors are just are in that rec, what we call recreational Mm -hmm. or beginner category, even intermediate category. And so it's a pretty even split of where people, um, come from in their climbing background, uh, I think what was really exciting is that um, Outside Magazine named us one of the top mm-hmm. uh, beginner-friendly competitions of any kind. So we're uh, like with um, races and bicycle, com- you know, races and and just amongst all the sports, we were really seen amongst climbing as as that super inclusive, you know, just try something new, do something for fun. Um, you'll have a good time that you get a swag kind of goodie bag as well. Um, so we definitely work hard to make it worth everyone's while to compete. And then, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Just the positive feedback and community we're building, but, and I think it extends, you know, to the live stream viewers, you know, Mm -hmm. we have an amazing live stream done by story firm.
0: Cool. My video production company to
1: George Mahali and his team. Yeah, totally. So I think that's added a huge element just Mm -hmm. in that it's, you know, there's unlimited capacity for online viewers. So we put a a big um, push into expanding our reach. Mm -hmm. And And so
0: it's it's an event that's really put on, of course, like to encourage people to uh, climb more and train. Uh, It brings uh, a really like high level of competition for the youth competitors. And then also there's people who come to call to do what's called setting the routes, which is where you. Uh, Create the puzzle that you see on the wall that somebody climbs and Those are world-class setters that are coming in just to set problems for the open category Which is where the professionals compete. Yeah, Um, but there's more to it I think that that's like what what sticks out in my mind about the Portland Boulder Rally and uh, Seeing it as like an event that kind of embodies really like the style of events that you put on where it's more It's about more than just people rock climbing because it brings together so many people from the community to, I don't know. I guess like build the stoke is I guess like a climbing term that you would use, right? But to get together and celebrate like the fact that climbing is a way to bring people together in a positive means, and this year especially was really cool because every year that I know uh, the Port and Boulder Rally has been happening. There's always a uh, raffle that happens where the funds are distributed to various nonprofits, so totally like this awesome altruistic component of the rally, and this year there were some really cool organizations that were involved, so three different nonprofits got funds from the the um, the fundraiser, you could say. Um, would Would that kind of be a way to describe um maybe what to you is the motivation for putting on an event like that where it's not just about like showcasing some of the best rock climbing like that you can see but it's also about bringing people together to strengthen maybe like friendship bonds and themes around that
1: yeah i mean it's a it's a great question i think different people are going to get something different out Mm -hmm. of an event so as the producer you can put something forward and, and say yes this is why we're doing this you know but everyone's going to get their own thing out of it or Mm -hmm. come for a different reason. So I don't necessarily like to prescribe it. Um, you know, I have a conversation very early on with any client of why are you hosting this event? I think that's, you know, just in the same way I talked about, why do I run my business and and work in events? I think it's equally important with each event to understand why is the event happening Mm -hmm. and what, um, what are kind of our, our goals as, um, the organizers and, and kind of as the client, um, Mm -hmm. what are they looking to see out of it? Um, so, you know, it's really fun with the circuit. I think there's a lot of pride within the members that's like, hey, we have this really big national competition Which that happened
0: eight times now. Yeah. And next so year will be year nine, right?
1: that And that's, yeah, that's huge. So, um we're definitely one of the longest running for sure um and it's really fun cuz each year i don't know how we do it but each year gets gets better and better and you know it's um and you still have you know people moving to portland that um have heard of it or they're brand new and they're like what's this so about 50% of the competitors are brand new each year um not necessarily new to climbing just new to the event which is really exciting you know you're just constantly getting um yeah just uh spreading that that love That's awesome. <laughs> but um but yeah i think that in general, um, you know, we try our best just to create a really fun experience. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that charity component. I always ask my clients whether that's something they want to do, because I think there is this benefit and it's something that people are looking for nowadays of like great, you know, what is that next level kind of giving back or, you know, people really see a lot of value in just like how we're supporting the community at large. Mm -hmm. So this year we partnered with three awesome organizations, PDX Climbers of Color, Wild Diversity, and Alpenglow Collective. And they all really support um, and are just actively working towards building that inclusivity and um, diversity within the outdoor space, especially climbing. So it was really um, great to work with them and, and learn a lot when it comes to creating an environment that actually is welcoming to all people. And that's something I took away from this event. You know, I made mistakes and I think we're just in a time now, especially kind of across all industries where we need to take a step back and really see what are we doing um, for you know, all, people of all backgrounds and, yeah, and gender identities and races and just understand better what steps we need to take. Um, and and it's it's certainly a difficult issue to talk about, but it's one that's worth tackling. So that was something that I'm hoping to take into um, the events that I produce from now on.
0: Well, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, what I really appreciated too about the way that these three nonprofits were represented at the event, it wasn't that they were just... like talked about on the the microphone for whoever was running the fundraiser like okay guys like we're going to be giving out our proceeds today from the fundraiser to these three awesome organizations each one of those organizations was actually present at the event with different sorts of uh, activations I guess you could call it so um activation meaning like a way that yeah yeah, activity that the group was hosting at the event to help bring people to their booth wherever they were and then also um allow them to kind of educate the public about them but there were some really fun things that they were doing like one of the organizations i don't know if it was climbers of color they had a uh, a stool that yeah, you had PDX to climb of color. That. up and over and through <laughs> which was like a really fun uh uh climbing party trick as you could say you know like you could definitely youtube it seeing people try to climb through and underneath the chair (laughs) in college we used to do this with
1: yeah so this was with a stool but we used to do this with chairs where the goal is to start sitting and then you have to go under and over and back to sitting without touching the ground and without tipping the chair in any way so it's a
0: super fun balance (laughs) strength coordination uh, it's a climber trick for sure yeah um that's super fun uh chloe i know like you kind of talked about it um But the why, is that really like one of the first conversations you have with someone who's talking to you about an event? Um, Is there other things that you, I guess, want to address with uh, people who are thinking about hosting their first event or they're coming to you and thinking like, hey, Chloe, I've got this amazing idea. I'm going to have a conference and it's going to be just like this other conference that happened in town, except ours is going to be twice as many people. And we're going to do this every year for the next three years and it's going to grow 2x every year after the first like what are the sorts of uh things that you talk about with someone like that
1: yeah um i actually have a questionnaire that i always provide Mm -hmm. and um even before we meet it helps me kind of come really well equipped to have an initial discussion and um and so yeah definitely the why i think is is so crucial because i i've literally seen events fail if they don't have a really strong um kind of foundation around what would be an
0: example of like a, a why that a client would have
1: who, um so it could just mean attention. increasing their member base mm-hmm. it could just mean um you know appreciation making sure that everyone who uh has so maybe worked with an, an organization money. yeah exactly so there's different i mean i'm organizing a holiday party where yeah it's all about appreciation just making sure that the people who came in touch with that client this year are feel valued and have a good time so um something you know as as beautiful as that or just you know something very concrete where it's like yeah we we we're doing a product launch and we want to increase sales by x amount you know there's just different people have different ways of looking at it um But I think, you know, it's both understanding that why, also getting really clear on their vision, Mm -hmm. right? Because a lot of people um, have these ideas, especially for first-year events, which is something that I specialize in, of just like, oh, yeah, you know, I went to this conference. I want that for our organization, too. Um, And, you know, you have kind of these definitely well-intended ideas in place, um, but Sometimes people just maybe don't know the budget that goes into creating something of that scale or um, just kind of what it took to create an event um, like the one maybe they saw that they want to model it off of, which is a great way to start for sure. It gives people a lot of clarity. To
0: have a... A model or like an yeah it's not like an it's event. not
1: necessary by any means especially for first-year events um you can a uh, big part of you know even my my slogan is is turning ideas into experiences because i think there's something to be said about taking action in the same way you created the george mahali show yeah. it's so cool to like great i have this idea i want to create this enriching experience awesome let's work together, but let's make sure we're really clear on, you know, what's the motivation, Mm -hmm. what are your goals, and then what's your vision. And then usually I'll kind of pencil out a, you know, a budget, be it, you know, in super detail where I'm actually sourcing venues, vendors, and um, then maybe we have to adjust that vision or, or kind of this, that entire scope. And um, also something that I really focus on too, is these multi-year events. So I, I, definitely prefer to work with, uh, events that aren't just one-offs because there's a lot to be said around the strategy of growth. Mm -hmm. Um, usually a first year event, it may, it might not be kind of to the scale that you're hoping, but that is absolutely achievable within, you know, industry standard is three to five years. Mm -hmm. So just like a small business, right? You really take off and you kind of prove your worth within that time. Um, I think depending on the model, you know, there's all sorts of revenue models of great, what sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, money streams are coming in, be it ticket sales, sponsorship, um, raffle is one option. So we just sort of really talk through just the full scope of the event um, as well as, you know, just the timeline. I think that's, I've definitely been approached a little bit last minute by some clients that are very hopeful for something that um, just needs more time to create. Mm -hmm uh, usually I, I try not to take projects under six months lead time because Mm -hmm. you just can't do it justice, you know?
0: What you just mentioned too there that you get a project last minute. I mean, I'm sure it's common across. I mean, I know it's common in in like the video production industry or commercial advertising. Um, you know, I've been on the side of the table where I'm the service provider and it comes to me last minute. Um, I have been involved with helping organize uh, different, mostly conferences, uh, TEDx Mount Hood, TEDx Concordia U Portland, so TED events here in Portland, um, and even with the event work that I do with video production, I've noticed for myself that there sometimes is this um, kind of call it like an inverse correlation with the amount of time. Left before the event happens, and the amount of sleep time
1: to
0: get—is <laughs> there anything like that happens with events?
1: Oh my god, it's so true. I I didn't even know what like in like, I I call it event endurance. Mm-hmm. I don't. I just made that up. But I like that term. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, so you know you do like, and and I'm t- I should add that lead time that I mentioned is for events of the scale that I'm. Um, more specialized in so you're looking at anywhere from 500 to 3,000 people mm-hmm. um and then i've worked on much larger projects so you're looking at say 20,000 people at x games um, several
0: million people at rio
1: yeah it's interesting i i did look that up so they had 7.5 million tickets but i don't think that equates to just because mm-hmm. some one 2016 person 16 olympics yeah one person can buy a certain number of tickets mm-hmm. but in any case um and so
0: like why you said like the six month lead time is so that I mean, that inverse correlation about sleep and the amount of time left to the event is because there's lots of details. You're a detail specialist. (laughs) I think that's like really like- Well, no, but okay,
1: yes. But at the same time, it's also Mm -hmm. seeing the bigger picture. So it's like- constantly zooming in, zooming out, Mm -hmm. you know, seeing, yes, you know, the details of like, great, what font is in, you know, that promotional material Mm -hmm. versus like out, like, okay, are all balls in the air and is everyone kind of on their timeline that we had set out. Mm -hmm. Um, so to answer, going back to your question about sleep, you know, say you produce a single day event, let's just take the Portland Boulder rally, for example, you know, that is, it's a full day event. You have nearly, you know, Fifteen hundred people plus, 1, on to, yeah, to, to two thousand people wow. uh, on site, and so huge production just takes mm. enormous amount so of this energy.
0: Is, uh, uh, like food and beverage, attendees, competitors. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, Sponsors. I mean, you have a
1: you have a competition coinciding with a festival, coinciding with a live stream, coinciding with like it's just a lot of of layers to it, and so um, really fun. I I find that some people will be like, "Oh my god, get me out of here," but I I embrace it. So um, so yeah, maybe yeah. I got a couple hours of sleep before that, probably my own fault, but um, but there's just so much to think about. In any case, so. You know, you have this single day event and you put all this energy, but then you find yourself working 30 days, um, in, at, in Rio, for example, with me. And that's where it became very clear, um, what it actually takes to produce kind of these world-class events. Um, we were averaging, I'd say for the team as an average, maybe like three to five hours, lucky if we got five, so maybe like three to four hours of sleep a night, um, and then we were expected to be on, like, you know, with sleep deprivation, that can definitely have effects in memory, it can have effects in just overall health and wellness. But you had to, for my particular situation, I was a hospitality manager with Cisco Systems, one of the um, the spon- sponsors and marketing partners is what they call them. Um, you were at a really for- cool,
0: uh, your housing was really interesting, oh, yeah. right?
1: It's so funny. Yeah, so... Um, I, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this, but um, basically, I, Rio has a finite amount of five-star hotels. Mm-hmm. And it's really important for our guests that they receive the type of hospitality that they're used to. Um, we were receiving, you know, CEOs that were top customers of Cisco as well as top executives from um, across the world. For those of you guys um, who don't
0: know, Cisco Systems is one of the largest like communication technology and networking. Companies yeah, in the world. yeah.
1: It, it was it was so fun to work with, but um, but yeah, so they <laughs> they brought in a luxury cruise ship from Portugal um, that they re-outfitted with entire Cisco branding. It was beautifully done. And um, and yeah, that's where the guests stayed along with um, it happened, you know, all the Olympic basketball athletes for the US so both the men's and women's side Sick. were also staying there which was hilarious because a ship has the shortest doors ever. Even for like me, let alone, you know, someone who's like six seven, six eight. So it was hilarious. But um, they all came back with their gold medals super fun so there's anecdotes like that but yeah getting back on track with the sleep thing you know you prove to yourself what you're capable of physically and mentally when you're under that much you know you could you call it stress I don't really like that term but just like that much demand on your body and your mind and um and you have to have a smile on your face the whole time and as well as you know just be kind of accountable and in the moment and um and it really proved you never know what you're capable of until you push your own borders and, and push your own boundaries rather so be it in a sport be it in your at your job so for my job it was really amazing to prove to myself that like oh cool I can basically do this where it's like four hours of sleep a night and um and then working 18 20 plus hour days where you're on and then maybe you have a break um but there was no such thing yeah it was just kind of like you're just on and mm-hmm. i loved it and so um it was really exciting to know that great i have this capacity um which lends itself very well to mm-hmm. to the event world but i'm sure there's other industries that require yeah. that amount well fortunately of the olympics
0: happen well once every two years but since you worked on the summer once every <laughs> four so if Oh, it'd be great to join the Winter Olympics. Again, you know, if anyone's yeah.
1: listening, Winter Olympics, hit me up. Yeah, shout out. She
0: has <laughs> experience with Winter X Games, so i uh, yeah, sharing was fun. characteristics. That was uh, cool. I won
1: a snowboard there.
0: Yeah, you came back with a skateboard, too, from summer.
1: Yeah, that, too. Yeah. Oh, my God. So random.
0: Um, you know, it's interesting because you just talked about, I forget what details specifically, but um, some of the tools in your toolkit, mm. and I know you're big on lists, like our checklists or anything else that maybe people think are basic like essential components to your i don't know process
1: yeah so i've been thinking a lot about this um just kind of you know keys to success mm-hmm. what makes because i get a lot of people like oh that sounds so much fun there's
0: so many details to right, keep track of
1: right yeah so lots of details um but, you know, it's, it's easy to get overwhelmed, I think, for some people. But it's really important to kind of see the forest for the trees, you know, just like one step at a time. Um, and, and I will say I super rely on a team, right? Mm-hmm. Be it someone that I've worked with closely and I'm subcontracting to bring in or um, working with a client's staff mm-hmm. uh, members that they might provide me a certain number of hours of their time. And um, I actually prefer to work in that capacity with the client's staff specifically, because they gain a lot of um, just ownership of the event and Mm -hmm. excitement for something that their company is putting on. You know, I'm just usually an outside contractor. And it's really important that um, usually people don't know if I'm involved unless there's a mistake, right? Which is the good, you know, kind of the way to be. I think going into this profession, uh, one of my mentors, Sean Alcott, was really um, just wise to tell me, he's like, don't go into events if you're in it for the glory or for the you know just even being on this podcast talking about it, it's really exciting because most people a don't know what I do or if they're at mm-hmm. an event they don't know I'm behind it which is kind of fun you know I actually you're I find reward when other people just you know when my clients can just sit back enjoy their own event that's why they hired me right and and people go up to them and say hey great event you know that makes them feel good and that's that's really what I'm working towards so um so yeah, there's kind of like, in a way, just that teamwork, I can't emphasize enough, is so important. Just the ability to delegate, but also to support, you know, in the end, the it comes, like the buck stops with you, right? Mm-hmm. If there's an issue and, and you know, it hasn't been resolved, it, it is on you. So taking that ownership, that utter accountability, but at the same time being flexible, right? I think we can have so, um, we can. I've seen some people get really kind of narrowed in on just what something's supposed to be. And um, and and knowing that like hey we can adapt to what actually is be Mm -hmm. it not as many people are registering as we thought you know let's maybe scale back on the venue let's um look at you know our marketing campaign and and pivot a little bit Mm -hmm. great we thought you know there'd be a bigger audience through this platform maybe we try another one so Mm -hmm. just being creative constantly persistent i think though all these adjectives i've been saying really make a great event planner and um, in regards to the details and, and lists, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I I know there's a lot of event management software out there, but I'm just a big fan of like Google Docs and Sheets. Yeah. Like I
0: you can't go paper wrong. Paper yeah, pen
1: and paper. I it it. Um, in the end, I think. It's maybe the way I'm wired or whatnot, but you have to think quite systematically mm-hmm. um, in order for there to be linear progression or just, you know, it's not even linear. It's sort of like everything happening at once across those various um, mm-hmm. aspects you talked about, be it registration, food and beverage, mm-hmm. um, branding, uh, programming, audiovisual. audio-visual. Yeah. So these are just elements of, of some types of events, mm-hmm. not all, Um, but so you're, you know, it's on you to basically manage. I mean, mm-hmm. what whatever management means to, to you. And so, um, so yeah, that people, person to person relationships, really important because you're asking a lot of some people. Um, and in the same right, having those relationships with sponsors, mm-hmm. that's been a huge um, win for just some clients I've worked with because of the relationships that I've built and been really grateful to work with such awesome companies, especially in the outdoor industry, who get it, right? They see the value in being a part of these events and contributing towards making those experiences possible. Mm-hmm. There are some events that just would not happen without sponsorship. So, um, so yeah, really, you know, incorporating them and making sure they're well taken care of. That's that hospitality role. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, just maintaining the standards that you put out. And sometimes it requires some difficult conversations I, or negotiation around, um, especially pricing, sourcing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes a bit of a, a you know, Kind of strong-willed person to to go in and have a plan of attack and really execute um but but yeah being so systems oriented can help because then right now i'm in a place where i've built um just templates essentially uh for my business such that i can use them for other events and be quite efficient and and bring the knowledge that i learned in one event to the next one mm-hmm. so um what's lucky for my clients now is that I can bring the skills that I built in Rio at the Olympics to maybe their local fundraiser, mm-hmm. maybe their local community event, and and they're getting a world-class experience.
0: That's awesome. Uh, you know, you were just kind of talking about it, and even throughout this entire conversation, we've always uh, made, I think, like small references to it, and um, like this theme around communication and what makes someone uh, an effective communicator, Uh, There's so many like little details that I think are easy to overlook something as simple as like remembering somebody's name and addressing Mm -hmm. someone by their name Um, This this maybe is kind of like a little like two-parter and just kind of wanting to explore maybe your perspective on on this But like what do you think makes like someone an effective uh, communicator? And what are the I know we were just talking about like negotiation and skill sets oriented around hospitality but, like, what are the other sorts of things that you think make um, an effective event organizer? It's hmm. so kind of like communication. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: It's a great question. Um.
0: For people who are, like, thinking, like, oh, you know, like, I'd love to, to make a career change or great. I'd love to become a, an organizer of events.
1: Totally. Yeah. I mean, you could argue this is going to sound strange. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a curveball in the sense of, like, maybe you haven't thought of this. But because you're having to... So communication is absolutely key, right? Mm -hmm. It's very important to know, you know, status reports, what's happening. Has someone, you know... Literally, the event planning is communication. You're talking with multitudes of people. Um, You know, I'm going through my contact list. There's like 200 people I touch, you know, get in contact with it in any one year, um, which is crazy to think about. So... um, but my curveball is that you actually have to be a fun person because you're you're with this person sometimes like again these like long eighteen hour plus days and like ideally you're actually enjoying what you're doing and you're having a good time and honestly I swear that's how people will hire like if they had a good old time like yeah. in that person they can keep an even head even keeled like this is one it, it's beyond communication it's the it's also the ability to just maintain um a sense of just calm within the storm um there's a a really fun analogy that event planners are like swans Um, i love this one uh, yeah so this is it's kind of funny i heard this i'll give shout out to um gmr marketing who i worked with um in in rio and so our program manager angelique said uh, who had put on a banquet for the Queen of England. I mean, just an incredible human being. But I I asked her similar questions like, what's the key to your success? I mean, probably not asking like that. But um, she really did say event planners are like swans in that we have to be very kind of like beautiful, calm, elegant on the outside. You're often client facing. You're, you know, working with sponsors who have spent anywhere from hundreds to thousands to tens of thousands, millions of dollars to, to be there. And so very important that you set the tone the people working around you, the people you're working for, they're all seeing that. So you're you're setting the tone. And I I've even talked to volunteers who seem a little bit frantic or or stressed or worried, and I tell them it's really important that you also set the tone. And maybe that means taking a step back. Maybe that means taking a break or maybe it just means like doing things a slightly slower. And people can wait in line. People love lines. Like look at Portland brunches. <laughs> it's crazy. So in any case, so yeah, being a fun person being kind of that swan, if you will. So the other part of the analogy is like on the outside, you know, everything's super beautiful and, and clean and, and, and graceful and then <laughs> below the water in the mud, right? <laughs> um, you can't see this on audio, but I'm moving my hands really fast just like you're underneath the, the water. Um, just, you know, because, right, say, you know, there are constantly issues that happen that you can't account for and you're having to troubleshoot just constantly when it comes to on-site coordination. And so making sure that that's all happening and definitely, again, that accountability side is that mm-hmm. it is on you to make sure that things are going smoothly, but at the same time doing it in a way that, you know, you're having a good time. It's it's no one else even knows that it's happening. I have countless examples of just like little fixes. It's like, oh, glad that worked out, you know, kind of on the back end. But um
0: yeah, nobody knows it's a problem unless <laughs> nobody you even know knows there is a problem. Right?
1: Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really important to remember um, that, you know, yeah, just I would call it composure as well as um, communication, be it phone, email, um, texting. I even ask anyone I'm working with, I ask the preferred method of communication because you could even say, oh, yeah, no, I'm I'm an email person. Like, just, yeah, send me what I need to know. Mm-hmm. And they're not actually an email what person. What makes a good email person? Um, For me, good email people are people that actually read their emails, which sounds so standard. And I don't put it against anyone because there are people that get hundreds of emails in their inbox. So I make it a point to assume that people, you know, maybe just I don't put it against them if they haven't read an email. But sometimes it is very important that... You know, they see information that can only really be relayed. You know, maybe it's a lot of details and spelling or mm-hmm. things that are much easier to convey in an email format versus a phone call versus a voicemail versus a text. Versus, I have clients I communicate Facebook Messenger on. Mm-hmm. Whatever gets through to them and gets a response as fast as possible, because there are times where, you know, you can plan an event as fast as the person can get back to you. So if you're waiting for a long time, it'll take Mm -hmm. that much longer, you know? So oftentimes it's providing that sort of like gentle persistence. I've had a lot of people appreciate that. And just that, again, never, I, I really make it a point. It's never anyone's fault that they didn't get back to me, but to quote unquote, like help set me up for success, which in turn helps serve them. It's really important that that communication be two way. And that, you know, not only is logistical communication being put out there, but as well as feedback, right? If Mm -hmm. something's not working, even be it a communication style, or be it um, just the general, I think a lot of us um, have assumptions of like, oh, I thought that that, you know, backdrop was gonna be black. You just assume, but maybe they wanted it to be a different branded color. Just you name it. I think it's really important. The more we communicate, the more we can avoid those assumptions mm-hmm. as well. And then, which generally saves you money and last minute kind of changes. So, um, so yeah, I make it a point to just be super clear, super upfront, right. and continue to make sure that I'm meeting, say, be it my clients or a sponsor, in a way that they can really communicate. Um, and sometimes it's totally fine maybe that's just text messaging
0: yeah yeah whatever is is effective Uh, exactly reminds me of uh when I was in college junior year going into senior year I really wanted this internship and uh I was in an entrepreneurship class and there was a a really like there there was a speaker a guest speaker who came in once and I was like wow like that guest speaker like what he was talking about like really connected with me and Hmm. what he's doing with his work sounds amazing and he had a his business was just like two towns away from where I was going to school in Vermont. Um, and it it gave me a spark. I was like, that's the guy. that That's his company. I want to intern with them. And I started an email correspondence with him. This was like in the spring, right? Mm-hmm. So we were emailing literally back and forth for at least a couple months. It was tricky to know when something was or wasn't going to happen and we were coming closer to summer break and I decided like if I didn't get an internship in Vermont where I was going to school I'd go back to New Jersey and it was getting close to just like a couple days before I had to kind of make that decision because there was a lease that I would have to figure out how to resolve with the house that I was renting with a couple people and emailing wasn't really going anywhere so I was like all right Pulled out a, a button-down shirt from my closet, ironed it because I was in college. I wasn't wearing button-downs that were ironed. Wow. It was just me and found a, a pair of shoes that looked presentable and decided, I'm going to surprise this guy. I'm mm. just going to show up at his business. I was uh, 19 at the time and uh, I don't know if it was a little bit of just like arrogance or maybe it was like wise thinking at the time. Maybe I think about it as wise thinking now because of what happened, but that's what I did. I ended up driving to his business during regular business hours. Was polite, you know, rang the doorbell, and uh, introduced myself, and you know the fact that I was communicating with with this guy, Doug. And it just so happened that when I arrived, was five minutes before he was leaving to go to the airport. Mm. But he saw me, and he knew who I was. And he instantly was like, hey, like, good to see you. Sorry about the back and forth. I've been super busy, as you can tell. like, I'm about to take off right now for a flight for a client project. But why don't you coordinate with Pam, who was his assistant at the time, and we'll find a time to sit down and talk when I get back. So I said, great. So I coordinated with Pam. We found a time. Fast forward one week later, he was back from his trip. We were sitting across from one another having tea. And he proposed the internship that ended up becoming the internship that I had that summer which was an amazing experience a great internship and I only learned about this as I was coming close to the end of the internship and I was working with somebody else uh, who was working with him who told me like hey like Doug probably didn't tell you this but do you know why you got this internship And I was like no like what's the story and Tamara told me she's like hey do you remember like you came and you just like showed up that one time because you know you wanted to get in front of Doug and like talk to him I'm like yeah and she said that really left an impression on him that you wanted to be one like respectful of his business and his like you know himself but two you also showed initiative because you understood that uh, the way that you guys were communicating at that time which was email wasn't and effective means to get a meeting with Doug because Doug is a super busy guy who travels a lot and the fact that you kind of had that gusto you know to show up and and say like hey I'm interested but I'm still like you know wanting to be respectful of your time and place like really left a impression on him and that was really cool like to learn that and it's still a, a group I stay in touch with now. And, like, I learned a lot from that internship. But bringing it back full circle, it was the um, the process of finding what was his preferred means of communication. You know, email wasn't working. I tried calling. That didn't really go anywhere. But when I showed up, when I had that FaceTime, that's really, like, what made the impression. So the long tangent around, like, reinforcing, like, that idea that finding uh, people's... Um, preferred means of communications effective communications is really important especially when you're working in a large team setting
1: right yeah i mean it's incredible story i think anyone listening to this can can definitely benefit from that experience um if you're say a college student looking for an internship that's that's really awesome george that you did that yeah. um some things that made me think of was you know <laughs> it's so funny just like showing up can be like it seems like the bare minimum and yet you know we're in a time now where i think people are pretty you know just the consumed by by various things that you know just that in-person um meeting or like a handwritten card Uh, um things we kind of think is like maybe like the bare minimum is actually really going above and beyond um so never doubt yourself if you're if you feel inclined and i i want to speak especially to women um kind of pursuing any interest but especially women in business you know we can doubt ourselves be like mm, maybe I just shouldn't go or like you know I and I think there's um there's times where like <laughs> you know it's so impressive what's possible just by asking you know and and putting it in a way that you know obviously you respect the other person's time but I would argue you know it's it, oftentimes it's in your best interest to just ask for for what you need um that's something that uh has proven pretty uh, to create some interesting scenarios i was at the outdoor retailer trade show for example one of the mm-hmm. largest uh outdoor industry um shows of uh, in god north america if not the world yeah in north america for yeah sure. yeah so um so it was really exciting. We were, uh, in mo- a lot of the networking happens kind of in these after parties. And I was just sitting next to this guy um, who, who grabbed a drink next to me. And, and, you know, okay, what do you do? I do events. What do you do? He's like, oh, I run a kayak business. I'm like, cool, you should give me one of your kayaks for a raffle. Um, because I had this fundraising event coming up. And he's like, okay. And so he, like, gives me his card. And I'm like, okay, that was a fun exchange. Like, two months later, a kayak shows up. Like, no joke. I can't believe he did it. It was amazing. And so huge shout out. I God, I wish I remembered the name of this kayak company. So all you gotta
0: do sometimes is ask.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was like you never know. Maybe you get a kayak. So I just wanted to put that out there. But um, but yeah, anytime I'm working with a team of what I I call leads, so often Mm -hmm. delegate, say, registration, in which like I don't it might not be worth um, especially the the client's money, but you know, just the time around um little details that can certainly be delegated. For example, customer service service with registration, say like mm-hmm. someone, you know, lost their ticket or whatnot. Um, so oftentimes maybe I'll have a registration lead or um, a food and beverage manager lead. Uh, and so with those leads, anytime they, they find struggle in communication with someone, I always ask like, did you try calling them? Did you try, you know, different methods in response to your story? Mm-hmm. But um, just reminding people or, you know, even like I was just canvassing the other day for get out the vote and as well as for Governor Kate Brown. And they say to knock twice on a door because like just that one knock might not do it. But it's that second knock of mm. like, yeah, I'm here. You know, I'd like to talk to you about voting. Yay, Election Day. So anyway, um, point is, is just that little bit of persistence. The right, you know, if we were to break it down, <laughs> hey, a list. Um, the right communication mm. method, as well as, you know, just being really humble about it and being really, you know, understanding of the other person's situation. You mm. can never assume where they've come from. Maybe they just, you know... what happened
0: to them that Yeah,
1: day. exactly. So I, I always like to keep that in perspective because, mm. you know, you have to meet someone where they are. And so event planning is about so much about human relationships, too, and just relations mm-hmm. and the ability to talk to a diversity of peop- um, you know, diverse amount of people and a, a lot of people at once, too. Mm-hmm. So...
0: Uh, I want to be respectful of your time because I oh, know no, in, a, yeah. in a few minutes you have to break off. But there's uh, two kind of uh, two more themes I wanted to touch upon before we uh, split for the day. Cool. But I would love to maybe have you back for a round two because there's so many uh, places, so many forests where I think we can get into the <laughs> the trees, you know, and get lost in terms of a figure of speech. Um, but you were just talking about relationships, and you had spoken actually about somebody who. Who fits into this category but can you talk to me a little bit about where uh you see the role of mentorship mm. in in being an entrepreneur
1: thank you yeah wow um i would 100 percent attribute my success not being like yes it was my hard work but having a mentor is so vital in those especially beginning months if not mm-hmm. year um I huge shout out to Michael Knapp. He's one of my main my main mentors. Um, he's also part of Entrepreneurs Organization, mm-hmm. which is this incredible organization that really is the top kind of business owners of of at least Oregon, um, and and they have different chapters nationally. And um, so they have a lot of amazing materials for entrepreneurs around building their business and and thinking about their business and reflecting and and changing and building. And and so, um, as a result, he has all these resources that he really likes giving kind of passing forward. And so he takes on three mentees a year. Um, I'm really grateful to be one of them. And so, uh, he has me, you know, fill out worksheets every time we meet so that there's some like, you know, status report around, like, you could be feeling like, and I've had this happen where like, you're utterly failing. Maybe, you know, you just have this feeling, but then you look at the numbers, like maybe in your revenue, maybe in just like, different number of leads you got that week or that month and and you're like oh actually i'm doing better than i thought so it's that outside perspective of someone that genuinely cares about your success to have someone say you know i won't let you fail which is honestly what mike said to me in the very beginning he's like if if you're actually into this you know in, in starting your own business we were connected because um i was referred to him by a mutual friend and he's like oh yeah talk to mike he actually he does this sort of stuff and mm. i was like what so i um, I knew him in the context of ultimate frisbee, which is a whole other story. But he had been an assistant coach for my team. But in any case, it was really um, interesting to work with him. And and essentially, you know, learn you're learning business as you're building one. So it's kind of like building the plane as you're flying it. Which I don't know if that's that's one way to go. You know, some people go to business school or whatnot. I kind of like this way because, and even you know, coming from events from a marketing background, but not an official like taking a test or whatnot. um, The more I talk to event professionals, at least the ones that I meet, you know, there's a lot of creativity and freedom in the sort of lack of rules and um, formal education in this because you learn by doing so much. There's so much valuable uh, both, you know, skills as well as just even personally how to handle Mm -hmm. different situations. Um, Case in point, you know, you have a, a... full evacuation of X games during like a flash flood, um, lightning storm that we anticipated in, in Austin in 2016. And, um, and it, it went as smooth as it could, you know, and, and just, um, knowing that great, you know, you can help facilitate the evacuation of like 20, 30,000 people, um, within 10 minutes uh, is, is really something special and keep your calm and keep everyone safe. So, um, yeah in any coming back to it mentor so um i have found just someone who where you have that accountability because there's oftentimes we're like yeah you know you should write that email you know you should follow up with that person but no one else knows that so you know maybe you let yourself slide a little bit but having someone we're like hey how did that conversation go if you don't have something to tell them like that doesn't make you feel so good so um and you shouldn't be doing it for anyone. Your mentor should not be the reason, like, that you're working so hard. You're working so hard because you you want to, because you mm-hmm. want to build this thing that's hopefully bigger more than yourself. Of
0: a coach on the team that you already. Yeah,
1: good point. So I like that. So it's like you know, let's do a sports analogy. Like, there's so much like track workouts and lifting workouts and training, so that you know you can be super strong on a field or you know on a climbing wall or whatnot.
0: Chloe has competed in the. <laughs> ultimate frisbee nationals
1: national championships yeah it's so it's been so fun um it's really nice to have that physical outlet too along with you know i feel like i'm challenged mentally every day and so it's (laughs) that sounded wrong in different ways mentally yeah yeah great so (laughs) so point is that um Mm. you know uh it yeah so there's the sports side and it's, it's neat to meet people then that have these entrepreneur sides to them. And, um and you're, it's a really lonely process, like being an entrepreneur, especially when you're, you know, quote unquote, a solopreneur um, where it's just you, it, you know, your friends don't understand what's going on. It's hard to, anyone asks like, Hey, how's it going? Like, you don't want to get into the minutia of like, Oh, this client said this or this vendors, this, you know, nobody it, do they care? Maybe, but it's, it's just too in the weeds. And so, you know, having a mentor is someone that, that does care. Maybe, you know, Mike doesn't come from necessarily an event background, but he does understand the nuts and bolts of business, which just translates across the board. So um, it's been wonderful to kind of essentially um, – be given these amazing resources such as books like traction or um start with why I already talked about that can give you some building blocks for like mm. here's here's what business is, here's how to kind of move forward. Um and and then yeah, I mean it's a constant roller coaster, both emotionally, um, I think, you know, even financially and um and I think it's totally worth it because you're constantly growing, you're constantly learning. And it's really amazing to have the support of mentors or even friends like mm-hmm. George um, who are there to support you.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I know that like for myself, uh, there's a couple people who in my life, I kind of consider mentors. Maybe they don't know it, but I you know reach out to them for advice, especially when there's a, um, new obstacles or challenges that I'm navigating that I think they've had experience with um, I, know, you kind of like alluded to it, but, um, with regards to finding a mentor, you said you asked or you, you were discussing this with a friend and they suggested Michael, like any, uh, any advice for somebody who's wanting to find a mentor or like what?
1: Yeah. Just think about the people in your life that, um, you look up to. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously we can name a lot of people that but- celebrities and that we may never meet but um mm-hmm. but maybe the people or in your authors life or yeah books or... exactly so maybe the people in your life that you do know and mm-hmm. um and you'd be surprised there's there's a lot of those um you know i th- i think especially people maybe who've been there before can be helpful which usually lends itself mm-hmm. to to age but i don't want to get it doesn't it doesn't really matter it's that's it's that person who you trust you value what they have to say but I do want to kind of push back on this word advice mm-hmm. so um, one thing that that Michael my um, or Mike my mentor really talks about is is teaching and what he calls or it's called the gestalt method where it's like you're um, you're sharing through stories and experiences mm-hmm. that you've had which may not necessarily translate because advice can be tricky um, if if I give you advice George and it doesn't work out you might be mad at me. If, if I give you advice and you don't use it and it, something doesn't work out, I might be mad at you, you know? So I think it's really important to make sure that, um, we're just sharing our own experiences and seeking someone who that method has worked really well for Mm. me. You see, look, I'm using it. I, it's not advice to anyone, but that method has worked really well for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so, um, so and and I I strongly believe it doesn't have to necessarily be someone in your industry. I have several mentors though. I mentioned Sean Alcott earlier. He is in the events industry. He's he's
0: worked several Olympics, right?
1: He's worked I think twenty plus Olympics, like and you know has been in events for for a very long time. And so it was awesome to learn the nuts and bolts of of very you know detailed event work with him. I even hired him once as my assistant to essentially teach me as I went, you know, when I was in a new position, just starting off uh, my company, but um or uh, one event. It was yeah, so I think, you know, my personal formula formula that has worked well is finding someone that can support you on the business side. I know especially for women there's a lot of resources out there, um be it through the government or just kind
0: of Mercy Corps like here in yeah, Portland. Yeah, they're they really provide, cool. Like, I've taken a groups.
1: Cool. Yeah, I've taken yeah. a couple classes there, um Mercy Corps Northwest, mm-hmm. uh, just to clarify. Um but uh, it's like the Small Business Association.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Oregon Entrepreneurs Network. Yeah. I've heard really good things. There so you go. Know, yeah.
1: Yeah. So just doing a quick little research, um, you'll find just a lot of amazing resources out there, some that I haven't even taken advantage of that I'm sure mm-hmm. I could benefit from. So, um, but, but, you know, you can expand that far if you're having trouble thinking of someone within your current network mm-hmm. that you think like, hey, you know, you believe in me? Here's something I want to do. Like, Mm. and, and have a plan and make sure that it is consistent. You know, I was meeting once a week, um, for the first, I'd say five months with Mike. And like
0: at a coffee shop or it was at his office. Yeah. Yeah, But,
1: but yeah, you can meet anywhere. You can Mm. meet at a coffee shop at your house. I mean, whatever you're comfortable with
0: and call even. yeah,
1: Yeah, exactly. I think it's that, you know, again, that accountability that, that, um, you know, just making it a, um, a part of the growing process Mm -hmm. that, um, it's pretty remarkable to look back on these worksheets, for example, and be like, wow, look how far I've come. You know, that's, Mm -hmm. it's really cool to track that, but you don't need a worksheet. You can, you know, just whatever style you feel can, can support you. Um, I think that, you know, entrepreneurship, it's so crazy. It's, it's such this like <laughs> difficult journey. Anyone you talk to who has their own business, I'm sure has a story. And unfortunately, there's like this whole like rags to riches American dream societal pressure of like, oh, we must succeed. But what does that look like? I think it's not necessarily the like, oh, and then you have this huge fancy office mm-hmm. and all these million employees. You know, it it could just mean you know you're doing exactly the events you want to do, or your business is. Is thriving Mm -hmm. in other ways and so I found a really great model again to really lean on my clients staff um, For again ownership on their part and support and then it saves my clients money, you know Um, So so yeah, I've kept it pretty lean, but it works out really well in the end Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I think
0: those are really valuable perspectives, especially mentorship and then uh, yeah, just kind of sharing perspective regarding What it's like to run your own business? Yeah. Yeah. One last uh cool. thought yeah. before uh you break off. Um what's your relationship in re- in the sphere of uh event organizing uh with fear? Mm. How do you use it or what what does that look like for you?
1: Yeah. Um I think that I related a lot to climbing um I'm super scared of heights, which is funny because people know that I climb all, or people who know me know I climb all the time. Um, it doesn't mean I'm not scared of heights. It's just that I'm at a point now where I know that that's a natural survival bodily reaction mm-hmm. um, or let's just say mental reaction, but you don't let it take over the physical and then you slowly build control over even the, the mental side of it So um, or psychological side. So fear is something that happens when we push our comfort zones, right? So you're now producing an event that's larger than you've ever done before. You're now going to another country where, you know, you don't know the language, but you're put in this position that you have to do something with. Um, you know, we're, there's so many... Just think about the time when you when you felt uncomfortable. And it's kind of that get comfortable being uncomfortable. You'll hear that a lot in the entrepreneur land. Um, and so... Fear is a totally natural resp- response, but I don't know for anyone who's seen Free Solo, for example, the Alex Honnold kind of documentary about his um, ropeless climb up El-, El Capitan in Yosemite. You know, climbing he, two thousand meters, yeah, with no crazy. So he's the epitome of not letting fear take over, right? um So. Y- I'm not saying I'm about to free solo anything. I have no desire to. But I think it just, it's a very clear example of, you know, almost using that fear as a propeller of like, great, the reason I'm scared is because like I haven't done this before, but look, I have the opportunity. You know, so continue to put yourself in those positions where, yeah, you're gonna expand, you're gonna grow, and you surprise yourself so much when it's like, oh yeah, I didn't know I could work 30 days straight um, on little to no sleep and and produce, you know, and help. Um, on a team of 50 people from across the world uh, put on
0: sporting events yeah you
1: know what I'm talking about Rio it's (laughs) like you know you just you surprise yourself and it's and think of the think of that reward I'm sure everyone can relate to that fact of when they like you know climbing maybe they got a a new grade that they didn't think was possible in the difficulty scale or maybe um, you're a runner and you got a new PR for best time like every time we we kind of meet the challenge, I think we then start to wonder, huh, what's next? So I'm in a place right now where it's like, okay, cool. I've, I've been really blessed to have these amazing opportunities and accomplishments. And it's like, hmm, okay, what's next? Like use that fear as a motivator, you know? Cause if you're not, I don't know, I'm just, I'm that type of person where it's like a constantly pushing yourself for, for for what's next? What's what's great? You know what can what can be achieved, and and really what experiences can we create for other people? Because the sky's the limit on the creativity, and you know, that um, that kind of just out outside of the norm experience. Like everyone goes around their daily day to day life. You know you could ha- you could literally do the same thing every day for the whole year. But an event hopefully should be something special. It should be something that's memorable, and it should be something that really kind of that that makes an impact. And so it's fun to know that, you know, I don't want just my own fear to be, to limit, you know, the amazing community that I could impact. So if anything, I do it for other people as well.
0: Beautiful. Like one of my favorite teachers, uh, you Portal said like fear, like identify it and go towards it. And you as a, like something that I really admire about you is you really embody that, whether it's, you know, competing in the, The Frisbee National Championships, whether it's working in Rio at the Olympics, whether it's working winter X Games, which is like super cold and then summer X Games where there's lightning storms or something else. It's like you're really athletic. You went to Arizona to run uh, a trail running oh, like ragnar. ultra marathon no
1: was it ragnar is really cool it's a it's a 24-hour race um you're on a team and and yeah our team won in the women's division yeah, and that
0: was your first competition trail running <laughs> yeah
1: it was my first ever running race yeah
0: so fear <laughs> trail use running it, race use yeah. it as your fuel i, I want to leave it at that oh, but thanks. um before we we go i want people to know where they can find you so yeah can people find oh
1: cool um definitely love it if you guys um if you have an instagram account uh it's just at mandel experiences so man is man dell like the computer two ls for luck um and then experiences uh and so at mandel experiences on instagram is awesome i'm also on facebook um and uh yeah feel free to to DM direct message me through Instagram. If you have any questions and after this
0: MandelExperiences.com as well,
1: MandelExperiences.com is my website. Um, definitely check it out for, um, just again, it really encompasses values, um, services, testimonials. You'll find a lot of uh, fun stuff on Some there on my blog. Posts blog. Too. Yeah. I'm working on one for you. There's awesome. one coming up soon, but George, I wanted to thank you Ooh. with a gift.
0: Uh, but I also wanted to oh, say yeah. you're based here in Portland, Oregon, yeah. but you organize events worldwide. And if anybody has any connections with the uh, Tokyo Olympics, uh, Chloe Mandel is available for hire. How would you say uh, something in Japanese to <laughs> honor any viewers who are joining us today from abroad?
1: Just arigato gozaimashita.
0: <laughs> arigato zamas.
1: Arigato gozaimasu. Thank awesome. you for listening. Um, yeah, this has been so much fun. I'm really proud of you. It's super fun to be on here. Thank
0: you. Honored to have you on.
1: Yeah, and then just want to honor you with a little gift. A so, little omiyagi. Omiyagi. Well, that technically just from travels, omiyagi. Cool. But this just small present.
0: Ooh. Oh, that is awesome. So, this. For anybody who's listening, Chloe just pulled out an amazing, <laughs> uh, beautifully like sign <laughs> but also color poster from the portland boulder rally 2018 which is the event that we collaborated on a few months ago yeah a few weeks ago now
1: so this is signed by all the pro athletes who came out for this year's portland boulder thank. rally george thank you for having me
0: thank you so much yeah. chloe truly appreciate you and appreciate our friendship and thank and you everyone for tuning in yeah. this has been awesome excellent share Over the love out. Bye. appreciate you guys Thank you again for tuning in and thank you again to Chloe Mandel for sharing her time and energy in today's conversation. For anybody who wants to get all of the things that we talked about today, all the links, all the resources will be available with show notes at GeorgeMahaly.com, G-E-O-R-G-E-M-I-H-A-L-Y.com, along with other podcast episodes. And if you're on the website and you wanted to sign up for the email list, you'll get notified when upcoming episodes are happening This episode we streamed live to YouTube and we also streamed it live at the same time to Facebook. We'll be doing that for upcoming episodes as well. So again, sign up to that email list and you'll get notified about all the good stuff happening in the future. Again, thank you for tuning in and wishing you well.